It's five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. <laughs> hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Here, welcome in, TGIF, we made it, finally Friday, it is the Get You to the Weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show, big hoops weekend ahead, and we're going to bring you uh, everything you need to know about uh, what that entails, we're also going to talk right now about the ECU game, Brian Mull will be with us next segment, we'll talk Pirates Gators, the fallout, and uh, other basketball items and NCAA items with uh, college basketball writer Brian Mall coming up in our next segment. But uh, first we say hello to Philip the Ref Pilkington of uh, 94.3 The Game and uh, ECU Public Address fame. Uh, Pilk, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited. It's Friday. A little disappointed there's no college or uh, ECU athletics this weekend, but hey, there's a great weekend of college football, college basketball, pro football. It's going to be a yeah. fun weekend. How about you, Patrick? Well, and I think uh, it is uh, probably welcomed by the ECU folks. You know, everything is going on. Congratulations to all the graduates. A lot of people in town this weekend for uh, commencement exercises, the big ceremony this morning, and uh, all the individual colleges going on now. That was uh, I was a spring graduate, not a uh, mid-year graduate. Uh, I knew a lot of people that ended up graduating uh, mid-year, and uh, those are always fun commencement exercises. Uh you know, and uh, I, I, obviously the numbers are bigger in the spring because, you know, generally it's people finishing on a, a uh, an even year, like a four or five year. I even knew a few six or seven year people, but uh, it's it's uh, one of those things. So, uh, hey, just be a little extra patient. There are a lot of people in town this weekend that may otherwise not uh, be here. Uh, Pirates drop a decision to the uh, Florida Gators. 70 to 65 was the final from Lakeland, Florida, in that uh, barn they played in down there. Uh, Pirates never led in the game. There were some crucial moments in the game. Uh, ECU had a chance to go ahead, miss some shots. Azar and Felton missing uh, shots. Kind of a weird call with 45 seconds remaining. Uh, ECU down two instead of gaining possession. The ball went back to Florida, an unclear replay in which the ruling said that the ball went off of Felton's hair. Have you ever heard or seen of anything like that? Uh, Because to me, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. I couldn't believe that was the call. I think had they they called it that on the court, I could understand it, but I didn't think there was any view that – there were some views that it looked close, but I didn't think it was indisputable. But, hey, you know, SEC refs, and uh, they need to get well, their teams to the tournament. I'm losing a quad three game. I, you know, I, I am usually not the officials, but the Pirates got no calls in that. And we're going to hear something on Mike Swartz talk about that in some, in some language. Now, look, the Pirate defense was hideous in the first half. Got a lot better in the second half. They got killed on the backboards. Uh, out-rebounded by 19, 21 offensive rebounds surrendered. You can't do that, including a key one late. That kind of put the thing away. There was also the air ball. Uh, I had to go back and review this before the show. Uh, the air ball that was called a jump ball, a Florida air ball. I mean, just some awful calls in that. So I 
you know, you can't cry over spilled milk, but I, I hope that there is some, you know, uh, that they, whoever assigned the officials gets the, the film on it, let's just say, along with some hearty complaining. I'd be fine with that, personally. Uh, all right, this is uh, our uh, pirate report as we talk about the uh, game. And uh, we'll, of course, then get to Brian Mull coming up in the uh, next segment. But right now, your pirate report. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's pirate report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's take a look at uh, or take a listen to Coach Swartz said there were two reasons why the Pirates lost the game, and they were pretty well interconnected. We did not come out on top for two reasons. Uh, we just talked about the guys uh, miss rim shots, whether that was in transition or in the half court, uh, you know, unofficially without right now having watched the film, and I can really look at it. I believe we were at somewhere between 9 and 10 shots at the rim. Uh, that Look, I don't know if you go nine, 9 out of 9 or 10 out of 10 on those, but you need to go 7 out of 9, 8 out of 10. You need to make 80% of your shots at the rim. And we had a couple in transition. We had a couple in the half court. Uh, I thought we executed our offensive game plan well to get the ball close to the rim. Uh, we didn't settle for a lot, and we tried to play in the paint. And, you know, you got to put the ball in the basket when they get down there, particularly when they're uncontested or when they're in transition. Those are the ones you got to capitalize on. Um, we only shot 12 free throws in the game. You know, maybe if you attack the rim uh, with a little bit more ferocity around that basket, maybe you have a chance to get to the free throw line more. I don't know till I watch the tape. And then obviously the number, and it's the stat that will stick out, is 21 offensive rebounds, uh, including the one that, that you know, basically was the, was the real backbreaker for us when Samuel got it late in the clock. We came out. We executed our late sideline out-of-bounds defense, forced them into a tough shot. We had a little bit of a miscommunication on that uh, high pin and screen that they set so they got the shot off uh you know two of our guys didn't communicate on that as well so they got a clean shot we, i actually think we could have kept them from getting a clean shot off uh but we don't rebound it and and samuels put the ball in the basket and took it from a two-point game to a four-point game yep uh he uh i think summarized it very beautifully that the pirates got the the shots at the rim and uh, they got the shots very close to the cylinder, but uh, could not get it to go. And uh, you can't get those opportunities against a team like Florida and uh, or any team for that matter. And and lose. Look, I mean, you've lost the last two games to uh, certainly an NCAA tournament team in Florida and a much improved uh, South Carolina team by a combined eleven points. One of uh, you know on a neutral floor, one of them. So I mean, this is. The, the, the pirates are coming. It's just you've got to you got to you got to finish plays, and if you do that in conference season, you're going to be very successful. If you don't, you're going to see narrow defeats like you've seen the last two games. Uh, this is uh, Mike on protecting the ball down low. When you go and sometimes when you're trying to you know finish the ball above the rim with the dunk, I think everyone thinks it's more powerful, and it is, and it looks more powerful when it goes through. But the point is, is that you can't protect the ball when you go dunk the basketball. Yeah. The ball is exposed because you're stretching out. Where if you go for an attack, a powerful layup, you have your body to protect. Exactly. But when you're always when you want, you get and they made two okay. great blocks. I'm sure I haven't had a chance to see them, but they, you know, I, you know, I think they were good blocks. And those were in transition. And I think the same goes for when you're attacking the rim in the half court. When you yeah. get a dump down or you got the ball three, four feet and in, you have to attack the square where you can attack the back, uh, protect. Uh, use the backboard, right, exactly. and 
and you use the rim to prevent shot blocking. But if you know, and so anyways, these are just things that, you know, I know we'll continue yeah. to work on, And but it's frustrating because that was the difference, the yeah. missed rim shots and, and, and offensive rebounds. A uh, couple more comments here from uh, Coach Schwartz. Uh, he talked about the halftime adjustments the Pirates made. Statistics say it. You know, Clayton had 20 in the first half. We made an adjustment at halftime. I thought we did a better job. He had two points in the second half. Uh, so I thought we, you know, you and I talked about it walking off the court yeah. that we needed to do something, and I thought we made that adjustment, and, and it obviously was effective for us from a defensive standpoint. All right, and uh, the Pirates uh – with uh, or Mike Swartz with what hurt the Pirates down the stretch. These games are going to come down to to a possession game, and uh, again, you know, uh, you know, very clearly, I, I just believe the shots that we didn't finish at the rim, and and not being able to control the defensive glass, which is a hard. This is the number six defensive offensive rebounding yeah. team yep. in the country, so you know that's going to be a challenge. But um, you know, those key ones, it was two on the free throw line, and there was obviously that last one by Samuels that re that really hurt us. We're going to talk about the two-time transfer situation in general and Cam Hayes with Brian Mull coming up, but uh, this is Coach Swartz talking about it. Hayes actually played 25 minutes, played a lot more minutes than I thought he would last night, uh, and you could tell he was rusty. Uh, I think Hayes will be uh, a contributor to this team in an important way once he gets his uh, sea legs under him, but... Uh, this is Mike Swartz talking about that whole process and the decision that Cam made to play in the game last night despite some murkiness from the NCAA. Well, the, the truth is, is it's, it's not our choice. Uh, this was Cam's choice. Cam wanted to play. We support Cam 100% either way. Uh, we put everything in front of him and his family and between legal and everything. But this was Cam's choice. We were perfectly fine with Cam not playing perfectly just because of the uncertainty mm -hmm. and everything. But... But I'll, but I'll say this, four months ago, Cam began a waiver process on August 14th, uh, I believe that was the exact date, Yeah. and tried to do it the right way, due process, and, and really give the NCAA and whatever the committees that were behind it the right way, our university, our compliance, and Cam, the way, in terms of everything cooperating, and to be left out in the cold and have no communication and be left out, so Cam, like any any human being that other people are deciding your fate is go wants to trust somebody. Yep. And he was trying to trust the NCAA process for four months and had lost up to 10 games already and with no answer and can't his family can't get an answer and continually. So you know what? He wants to trust someone and he's trusting the federal judge. Yep. He's trusting that ruling because like any any human being, when something is so important to you, as this university and playing basketball and this life he has here that he wants to trust somebody and there's no way any student athlete should be in a position where they can't trust the process that is put forth by the governing body and that let him down and so he trusted the process of what came out two days ago or yesterday excellent uh, points salient points made there by mike swartz We'll get more on this and uh, a lot more on the game from Brian Mull, college basketball writer. He'll be joining us. Let's take a timeout, and we'll come back with uh, the Patrick Johnson Show. Get you to the weekend. Hoops edition. Sometimes you just don't know if you want to kiss him or slap him. Ah! 
Either way, he'd probably like it. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Okay, uh, we are back here. Brian Mull joins us from the uh, Port City College Basketball Scribe at BG Mull on X. Hello, Brian Mull. Uh, how are you on this Friday? I'm doing well, Patrick. Uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. All that to everyone. Hope everybody's got we, their shopping done. Like I haven't. Uh, yeah, nor have I. We're uh, we're all in major trouble here. Um, hey, I I uh, I'm sure I think you heard a little bit of what uh, Mike Swartz had to say, particularly about the uh, Cam Hayes situation. And uh, while that is the one that is uh, close to home as far as the Pirates go, this is not uh, a story that is that uncommon. And uh, we are now in an area where. Uh, there is a lot of gray area. Imagine that with the NCAA. We're in an area, a place where there's gray area here. So uh, he's not the only story, and the whole thing continues to be kind of from where I sit absurd. Well, it's a clown show, to put it bluntly. Um, <laughs> what, uh, you know, this news broke of the the, the ruling in the court case uh, a couple of nights ago and uh within a couple of hours a reporter was able to contact a, a spokesperson for the ncaa who who said clearly that it would not affect a player's eligibility if he chose to play during these two weeks you know primarily these these two time transfers and then uh yesterday with less than 24 hours later uh the opposite statement is issued from the governing body and yeah, this that's is what's just, so confusing. This inconsistency is just consistent with what they have been over time. I think there was some hope that bringing in a politician, Charlie Baker, to play the to be the president, uh, that there would uh, be a, a different form of operation. But it just they cannot seem to get out of their own way. Uh, and and while they say everything is for the student athletes uh in this case it most certainly is not they're the ones being punished they're the ones being uh held in limbo uh, i know of i've talked to several coaches who are in the same situation these players are practicing they've done everything just no differently than cam hayes they followed all the procedures and they cannot get a straight answer on uh, what should be a pretty cut and dried uh situation what's interesting to me about this as well is uh, in this 14-day window, they can play. Now, you know, again, the NCAA's gone back on what they originally said. It's amazing that the person representing the organization wasn't giving an opinion. They were giving what they were told to say, and then it's a different 20. I mean, again, that's it's it's laughable uh, at, at, at best. It's frustrating, but it's laughable. So... I can't imagine, and, and you're you're not a lawyer. You you just you're not going to play one on the radio. I'm a simple simple country bird lawyer, uh, practicing bird law. But uh, I, I'll just say I can't see the courts going back on this uh, situation if there's already precedent, which is going to be guys are able to play for these two weeks. Right. Right. And um, frankly, in the big picture. I'm not in favor of the two-time transfer, um, unless there's super extenuating circumstances. But the but the the cat side of the yard, if you will, you know, like 
the, these players transferred with all understanding and intention that they would be able to play right away. And then the NCAA changed course. Um, they just they just need to clarify and, and, and figure out what it is. I mean, I understand from the coaches and the institution's perspective that the multiple transfer situation can be very difficult as far as roster management. And, uh, you know, if you're a lower school, you get a guy on the rebound and then he has a great year, then he's off again. I mean, that that's where maybe this, this whole thing's getting a little bit uh, – carried away but but just needs there's no clarity there's no straight line of communication from the ncaa and um here we are in the middle of the season uh semester's over there's no excuse for as far as that goes and uh it's just again another example of uh one of the worst run organizations not only in athletics but just in general that you could ever imagine but they make money and that's uh i mean that's that's Part of the deal. They make money. Hey, um, you know, what, what's funny, just to follow up on your point, you know, the last year and a half of doing, uh, you know, games against uh, sometimes some far-off kind of schools of various size and various circumstance, I mean, you'll see players who are, I think we, we had one during the deal leading up to Thanksgiving in Greenville, he was on his fifth team in five years or fifth, you know, something like, that. I mean, it's just, it's fourth team in five years. I mean, we, I, I, we've, there's always two or three players you're coming across in non-conference scheduling. It seems like that are, are part of, uh, are that, you know, part of that. How is what they're doing any different? I, now I realize there might've been a Juco sprinkled in there and they were, you know, transferred down to division. So, I mean, there's some of that going on, but I mean, point is people are playing on, three or four teams in a four or five year span. It's crazy. Yeah, it's happening all over. And um, I don't think that's good, honestly, for either the players or the schools. Um, I, I feel the one year, you know, the transfer and not having to sit out is perfect. It's great, but we, we just can't uh, make it where it's, uh, you know, four schools in four years. Uh, it, it, it's it's that's gotten carried away and um, there just needs to be some some clarity again and a firm rule so everybody knows they're operating if you take a, a someone who has already transferred they're going to have to sit out a year both sides know that going in as far as coach building his roster as far as a player planning out his life and um, that that to me seems like an obvious uh way to handle it, but the, but the NCAA just cannot seem to get to a simple, straightforward answer on much of anything. The other thing, uh, and I, I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but uh, I just want to revisit it with you to kind of get your perspective. Um, well, one more, one more thing on the two-time transfer. I mean, right now in the here and now, what should be, what should be decided? Because this is the sport where the two-time transfer is really prevalent in basketball. So how right now, this moment or coming up on the 27th, how should this thing be adjudicated in your, they should all be able to, they should all be able to play for the remaining games in this year. Anyone who's on campus, who's enrolled at school, who's a part of the team, who has fulfilled everything that they thought that they had to fulfill. They should be on, they should be eligible to play in games. No doubt about it. And then if the NCAA wants to come up with some, better answer or solution in the off season, preferably early going into effect for the 24, 25 season, fine and well, but all of the players who are on campus and there's, 
there's several dozen and a lot of impact guys oh, yeah. sitting out across yeah. the country. Uh, those guys should be able to play basketball. We're at a good point where it's just uh, they can be integrated into the rotation easily. Um, you know, the, not as many games going on now, a lot more practice time over the next week or two as we ramp up the conference. And it just makes perfect sense to just issue a two-sentence statement. They're all eligible. Boom. All right, uh, Brian Mole with us here. Follow him at BG Mole on uh, X. He covers college basketball for various outlets. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, this subdivision. Uh, John Gilbert this week, at the beginning of the week, uh, said on the Hoist the Colors radio program that he thinks 30 at most 40 schools will be able to participate in this where the college on the hook for a minimum of six and a half million annually is able to play, pay players directly. This obviously has title nine implications. This obviously I think has some legal implications as John noted from the football and men's basketball world, because those players are going to want their fair share of any kind of TV revenue. And that does not include giving it to sports that, I mean, let's just be honest, don't make a nickel in TV revenue. Uh, they they're may be included for inventory, but they're not they're they're not contributing to that big dollar price tag. So I think this 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 is fraught with peril. With all of that said, Mull, is this the best thing in in your opinion? Never mind the football perspective. We've got that from every angle imaginable the last two or three weeks, two weeks, whatever it is. From a basketball perspective, this I, I can't see this being a good thing. Not not at all. Um, uh, while I have on the record said that 362 teams in Division One is entirely too many, uh, on the at the same time whittling it down to 30 or 40 who are operating on the completely different financial model just doesn't make sense or sound uh, equitable to me as well. Um, you know, I think we've all kind of looked at football independently for a long time, and, and that's fine. And um, it's the biggest cash cow in the room because really outside of the basketball tournament, you know, the, the in-season games just don't aren't able to draw the same amount of advertising dollars based on the ratings. But, um, yeah, that I don't see where that would be good at any level. I mean, if the bottom 100, you know, broke off into their own division and and were no longer eligible for March Madness, that would be disappointing, but it wouldn't be the end of the world and it would probably be a more competitive structure going forward. But to to separate 30 or 40 on the top end, I just that doesn't sit well with me at all from from a basketball perspective, uh, you know, which is a completely different sport. You only need a couple of difference makers. It's not like you've got to have two deeps at the offensive and defensive lines to be competitive with the top teams. Here's what, and this is the, this is some of the NCAAs doing when it comes to basketball as well, their own doing. They have let everybody that wants to be Division One in basketball uh, basically be Division One in basketball. I mean, there, there, are, there are institutions from a facility standpoint, from a budgetary standpoint, from a, however you want to name it, have no business being a Division One in place at all in basketball. No yeah, business. There's programs that have moved up in recent years who weren't even that successful at the previous level. You know, it's not like they were consistent perennial champions of their conference or their region and, and, and NC tournament. NCAA tournament qualifiers at a lower level, and now they're in Division One, 
And uh, it's just in name only. It's like the guy who turns pro in golf just because he walks up to the tournament and says, I want to be a professional. Like, um, that's kind of where we're at with it. And, uh, you know, there's no league in the world. I, I could be proven otherwise. There may be some cricket league in India or somewhere I'm unaware of, but that, that has 360 teams competing for one championship. I mean, it's just an unwieldy number. And, uh, you know, as you said, the NCAA has allowed it and allowed it and allowed it. And we've seen it, both of us, with, uh, you know, our coverage that there's – it's almost uh, – they're just operating with a completely different model when you look at the bottom the bottom tier. All right, Brian Mull's with us. We're going to hold him through the break here. Philip the Ref Pilkington right now with a 94-3 The Game Sports Update and Pirate Report. Then we'll break down uh, the game from last night with Mull, and we'll also take a look at uh, some of the action this weekend. All of that after you hear this from the Ref. Thanks, P-Man, starting with Pirate Athletics. Last night, the Pirates fell 70-65 to to the Gators of Florida. Coach Schwartz says, despite being disappointed with the loss, he was pleased with the adjustments his team made at halftime and how they built on them in the second half. Statistics say it. You know, Clayton had 20 in the first half. We made an adjustment at halftime. I thought we did a better job. He had two points in the second half. Uh, so I thought we, you know, you and I talked about it walking off the court yeah. that we needed to do something. And I thought we made that adjustment, and, and it obviously was effective for us from a defensive standpoint. The Pirates will be back in action on Wednesday when they host Delaware State. The game will tip at 7 o'clock. You can hear it right here on 94.3 The Game as part of the ECU Sports Network with network coverage starting at 6.30. Former Pirate running back Darius Penix Jr. has taken a job at Gardner-Webb to become their new running backs coach. And after suffering last night's suffocating loss, the Chargers have fired both head coach Brandon Staley and GM Tom Telesco. Staley had been with the team since 2021 and had a record of 24-24. and 24. Telesco had been with the team since 2013. Outside linebackers coach Griff Smith has been promoted to interim head coach for the remainder of the 2023 season. That'll do it for your 94-3 The Game Sports Flash update and pirate report. On the other side of this timeout, we will talk more college hoops with Brian Mull. We have you covered with all the ECU news and beyond that you need for the drive home. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. All right. Uh, welcome back. Brian Mull uh, joining us uh, all weekend ahead. Before we get into the uh, schedule, let's talk a little bit about uh, the ECU loss at uh, Florida last night. Pirates... Uh, had their chances. You know, it was interesting. It felt like a game that was uh, not as close as uh, the score would indicate for stretches, but it got competitive at the end. So East Carolina twice now has lost to SEC teams in back-to-back games where they had a chance to win the game late. So what can be taken from that? Well, the margins are so thin in these games. I mean, these are two top 50 teams. I think Florida is certainly an NCAA tournament team. I think South Carolina will be uh, hanging around the bubble until the end. Um, Positive East Carolina's defense. This is four good defensive outings in a row, which obviously Mike Schwartz was disgusted with their defense early in the year. Uh, They had some injuries you just have to finish. I mean, Mike Schwartz nailed it in the comments you played before I came on. I mean, 
East Carolina got the ball to where they wanted to a number of times. And this, the height was really the difference in the game. When you look at the lineups for each size, each side, Florida has a couple, three inches on the ECU players at every position from point guard through the five. And that height and length and their ability to rotate in three really big front court guys, I think was the difference in the basketball game. Um, it was just very difficult for uh, ECU to establish much of an inside presence either on the drive or in, even in transition. And, uh, you know, one thing of concern, I'm just looking at Brandon Johnson's numbers, and I know, you know, dealt with some injury and illness, but he shot 10 more threes than twos to this point in the season. And and while it's great, he certainly turned himself into a terrific three-point shooter, they need more on the interior from him, especially as, uh, you know, it's obvious Mike wants to bring along these two freshmen at the five, but you just can't expect a lot of production from them. You're going to get what you're going to get from a SAR. He's been terrific, but uh, Johnson needs to, to to be a little more balanced and maybe hunt uh, some two point shots because the, the beauty of those two point shots is they often lead to free throws. And um, you know it's it's not rocket science if you're if you're shooting balls around the rim and getting fouled and shooting free throws, you're you're giving yourself a very good chance to have an efficient offensive night. Bobby Pettiford, a little bit of uh, a little shaken up at the end. Uh, let's hope it's not anything severe um we'll see but uh he's got to be healthy for them to have a chance i don't know if i if, if there was some question i don't know if i'd run him out there wednesday against delaware state but uh I, obviously you you need to have him ready when the calendar flips he is vital to east carolina's success um he had a hard time keeping Clayton in front of him in the first half, but Clayton's a terrific player. Uh, they made some nice adjustments in the second half. Pettiford's not the greatest on-ball defender, but he, he does have quick hands. I think he ended up with five steals last night. And then what he gives you on the offensive end, he's he's just a calming presence. He's a point guard. He's got his head up. He's always looking to distribute the ball and get it to where it needs to be get it to players where they can score. But then he is also capable of just going down the right side of the lane and, and scoring over a bigger man, again, drawing fouls. And, uh, you know, he, he has that uh, ability, just innate, uh, where he wants to, to, to have the ball in his hands late in games. So, you know, you got to have that guy. We've, we've talked about it a, a million times uh, on and off air, like, in college basketball these days, you have to have a point guard who can go get you a bucket when things break down. And Pettiford, uh, you know, he's been a terrific addition. Let's hope he's healthy. And again, I would make sure uh, that that I did everything possible to make sure he was healthy for conference play. I want to ask you a little bit about um, uh, Cam Hayes. We've talked about the situation, but you know, he played a lot more minutes than I thought he would last night. And wh what inevitably can he bring to this team that they need? Well, I thought he settled for some threes last night. I mean, that's understandable. First game, it's, you know, maybe easier just to fire up some shots than to go in there. But uh, he's he's a 30% three-point shooter over his career. I mean, maybe you can see those numbers bump up a little bit now that he's at a slightly lower level of competition. But uh, he's a slasher. He's an athlete. He's a guy who can get in the paint. And I think what he really does is solidify the depth on the perimeter, not that, uh, you know, no offense to LeCount, who has given them some good minutes, but he's small and, and, and in conference play, a guy that could kind of be picked on on the defensive end. So I think Hayes really gives Schwartz a nice, tight, 
backcourt rotation uh, provides some depth where you, you feel really good about the perimeter. And now they just need they need these big guys beyond Johnson and Asar to step up um, as well, so that uh, so that you don't drop off. Because I see a pretty big drop off when when either one of them is on the bench. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean Hayes is look. He, he's a guy that uh, will only get better. That'll probably be the worst game he has all year. And uh, obviously, Schwartz trusts him to play him that many minutes in his first game on the road. All right, let's uh, turn to some of the action going on. Uh, tonight, such exciting matchups as St. Andrews, the Knights at uh, North Carolina Central, although Lavelle Moton's going for the uh, win uh, to be the all-time win leader at Central, I believe, there. Tusculum at East Tennessee State. How about that one? What else do we have? Bridgewater at Elon. Uh, we have Saginaw Valley State at Butler. All right, I'm kidding when I when I bring all this up. Uh, but I the, the game tonight, if you're interested in watching some ball, to me, UConn-Gonzaga, number five, number ten. Uh, the game will be played out in uh, Seattle at the Climate Pledge Arena. And uh, to me, Brian, uh, this this is uh, in, a, in a weekend full of uh, great games on paper, this is one that looks like it could be really interesting. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, this isn't an Elite Eight type of game. I, mean, I don't think anybody would be stunned if we saw this in a regional final, maybe even a Sweet 16, depending on – uh, how the Zags go. I think UConn's going to win the game. Uh, I, I'm so impressed with them, uh, just their toughness, their tenacity, um, the development of their big man. Uh, Tristan Newton is playing as well as any point guard in the country. Uh, just absolutely uh, rock solid veteran at that position, scoring, rebounding, assisting. And uh, I just have concerns about this backcourt for Gonzaga. And certainly, uh, you know, they don't have Drew Timmy. To, to bail him out as he did so many times over the last several years. So I, I think, uh, you know, you, Zags keep it close for about 30, 35 minutes and UConn pulls away. And um, I, I'm, I'm really high on this UConn team. There's a lot to like. Uh, we're talking uh, college basketball, big weekend ahead. Brian Mall joining us uh, here, following him on X at BG Mall. The job that Penny Hardaway has done scheduling in the non-conference it's really been fascinating. I mean, it's been fabulous, actually. Uh, Missouri, Michigan, uh, they have uh, played Arkansas and beat them. Uh, played Villanova, played Ole Miss, VCU, A&M. Uh, they'll get Clemson and Virginia coming up and Vanderbilt uh, before they uh, get a tune-up with Austin P before uh, opening conference play. But Penny Hardaway's done a, an amazing job with the, with the non-conference schedule and, and the I, I think the Tigers have proven that they are a, a really good tournament caliber team. They've been kind of hanging around the bubble the last couple of years. Does, does this schedule and the success against the schedule kind of put them in a position to to maybe not be on the bubble, be firmly in? They look like a tournament team to me. I think this is the best team he's had. I mean, he certainly had some more talented pieces maybe at times, but when you look at the experience – and just the way these pieces fit together and their willingness, uh, they just there just does, doesn't seem to be as much drama around this group. There's been some off-court things, but but not really right. with the player who are participating. And when they get on the court, they seem to have a good mix. Penny was very clear in the preseason that, uh, you know, the American losing Houston, losing Cincinnati, not quite as many opportunities perhaps at the top to get quad one wins, quad two wins. And he felt like it was very important to schedule aggressively. And Memphis has held up just fine. And I think uh, 
if the committee has any sense whatsoever and the Memphis can continue to produce some results, I think they'll, they'll be rewarded for scheduling so aggressively uh, in the non-conference. I mean, they're, uh, you would think they're trying to become a member of the SEC with uh, when you look at who they've played and, and, and unafraid to play anyone. And, uh, yeah, I think that this is a team that's, that's doing everything it can to put itself in a great position to hear its name called on Selection Sunday. All right, so uh, they have number 13, uh, Clemson tomorrow at the FedEx Forum. Who wins and why? It's neutral site Saturday, Patrick. There's so many neutral site games tomorrow. Uh, I really like this Clemson team. Um, they, they, they've shown me a lot going to Alabama and winning and then being able to win a couple of games when they didn't shoot well. But uh, that's going to be a tough environment, and uh, I like Memphis there. I just think uh, I think they can wear them down, maybe a little bit more depth and uh, touch more athleticism. But uh, this is maybe Brad Brownell's best team at the same time at Clemson. That should be a terrific game. Uh, and, and and there's several others on the docket that are uh, that, that could be previews of what we may see late in the tournament in March. Number one, Arizona at number three, Purdue on Peacock tomorrow at 430. That's unfortunate that it's on Peacock, but uh, yeah. we'll, uh, that's just the way it goes, I guess, these days. Um, look, Arizona's the best team in the country. Uh, Tommy Lloyd's record since he's been at Arizona is phenomenal. This is the most athletic team he's had. He's been committed to this style from day one, and Caleb Love is a star, and he showed that in flashes at Carolina, and for whatever reason, it didn't work out there the last year or so. But there is no doubt he, his talent is um, undeniable. And he has just embraced this opportunity. Read a great uh, feature from John Fanta on him earlier this week. And, uh, you know, this came to thought he was going to Michigan. That didn't work out. Arizona had a spot. He's all in. They've added some terrific front court pieces in the portal. And, uh, I don't know that they're going to win this game in Purdue's backyard tomorrow. It'll be a tough ask, but uh, I am very bullish on the Wildcats going forward. Number A uh, couple 2 o'clock games. Skipped over these. Number 6, Baylor at Michigan State. Any chance the Spartans spring an upset at home? Man, I don't know. The the, the Spartans uh, playing this game in Detroit, the, they just look terrible to me. I mean, I yep. hate to say it. Like this, there's, I, I keep waiting for it to click, but but uh, they can't shoot. Uh, their offense is very predictable. Um, they they don't get on the glass like an Izzo team. Like uh, I I don't I don't know. It's, it's like the game they need. It's huge for them. I think. All right. Uh, speaking of games that nobody will see, unfortunately, number twenty JMU at Hampton. I only bring this up because uh, JMU is having a dynamite season. Oh, the Dukes are terrific, undefeated. Uh, they're going to be favored in, uh, for the foreseeable future. Some of those games by double digits. Um, Mark Byington has done an incredible job reviving that program, which certainly had had some success, but it's been many moons ago. He has a TJ Bickerstaff, who some ACC fans may remember from two very good years at Boston College. Uh, has just a dynamic team. They play with a lot of freedom on offense, but but they're very tenacious and aggressive on defense. And uh, this is a team that uh, I fully expect to, uh, you know, they've put themselves in position for at-large possibilities, but uh, will be the favorite in the Sun Belt and, and will probably have 27, 28 wins 
uh, you know, by the end of the regular season. All right. Uh, tomorrow afternoon at 5.30, it'll be uh, from the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, second part of this uh, doubleheader, number nine, North Carolina, number 14, Kentucky. Yeah, interesting game. You know, uh, Kentucky, certainly one of the last times we saw them, they were losing to UNC Wilmington. Carolina's had some nice results up and down. I mean, there's no shame in losing the game versus UConn in New York City. Had a nice win at home over Tennessee. I think both these teams are still kind of figuring it out. Kentucky has been playing fast and with a pretty perimeter-oriented lineup, but now they've got a couple of their big guys back from injury, so it'll be interesting to see if the style there changes. I think the Kentucky fans, for the most part, have been happy with the way they're playing, more of a modern basketball game pushing the ball, uh, shooting threes, getting out in transition. Now it sounds like they may be going back to the, you know, the double bigs and, and kind of the, the offense that has driven everybody crazy in the Big Blue Nation in recent years. So uh, it, it will be interesting to see that. I do think, uh, you know, Baycott has got to show up in these big games. I think if you look at Carolina, certainly some, the, a couple of the additions have been nice, but, uh, but Baycott has, has struggled against these bigger front courts and he's going to face another one, a couple of three, seven footers tomorrow in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, he's got to produce. All right. I want to ask you about a trio of, uh, night games, uh, really a team and two night games. Um, number eight, Creighton tomorrow night at eight, Alabama. Can the tide get it together on the road? The tide's got some defensive issues. Um, I, I don't think enough was made. They brought in a couple of nice transfers, and, the, and we know they're going to push the ball and score, but the best teams that Nate Oates has had were very elite on the defensive end because of their their size and length, and they don't really have that imposing front court that they had last year, just monsters around the basket. Um, so I'm, I'm <laughs> the last thing you want to do against a Creighton team that's coming off a disappointing performance at UNLV uh, is not be able to defend because uh, they, they certainly have one of the most efficient offenses in the country. So uh, if you like baskets, if you like pace, this, this should be a fun game to watch. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a game that uh, both teams need as far as, you know, they're both going to be tournament teams, but uh, you, you want to build some confidence this time of the year and you, and you want to, uh, to pad these, you know, these quad one neutral games and, road games, you know, to give yourself an opportunity to get the best seed that you can as well. I, I Two teams I want to ask you about. Um, Oklahoma, BYU. Now they're playing games they should win tomorrow. Green Bay at Oklahoma, Georgia State at BYU. But were we expecting them to be this good in the Big 12, at least in the pre-conference? Yeah, I, I like watching BYU play. Uh, I, I watched their games with Arizona State and NC State earlier this year. Uh I think they're a touch overrated in some of the metrics. I mean, they've just been shooting. They've been shooting the ball at an incredible clip and uh, it's fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're going to be fine in the big 12, but I think they're also going to take their lumps as teams take away their transition and are able to, to kind of manhandle them at times on the glass. Uh, Oklahoma has been a pleasant surprise. I mean, we all know Porter Moser for what he did at Loyola of Chicago. Hasn't really been able to get it going at Oklahoma yet, but uh, it seems like now he's finally got the roster to his liking. And look, it takes a couple of years sometimes, you know, in this world to, to get the get the roster that you want exactly right and um, get guys that are bought in and want to be there, both feet on the boat. 
And I think Oklahoma is, is certainly headed in the right direction. I mean, the Big 12 is just going to be an absolute war every single night. I mean, when you look at uh, not only who's in the league, but who's coming and, and will be playing their first conference games here in a couple of weeks. And tomorrow night at 10 o'clock from San Antonio, it is NC State and number 12, Tennessee. Can the pack uh, spring an upset of the Vols? I got a lot of questions about this Wolfpack team. Um, you know, they can, they look good. They, they look good against bad teams, but but when anytime they 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 play against that quad one, that upper tier, uh, they just don't. You know, it's just a bunch of jump shots, and I just don't trust teams that are so reliant. And they have shot makers. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Kevin Keats always has guards who can create and make shots, but. Uh, you know, Tennessee's not going to allow them to just, you know, get to their spots. It's going to be a physical game. Uh, they're going to they're going to push Burns around, try to frustrate him inside. And um, yeah, I don't. Uh, it would be a pretty big upset, in my opinion. Uh, Tennessee's a, a fairly significant favorite, as they should be, and I think they'll handle their business. Hey, Ball, great to talk to you. We'll uh, we'll get with you next week. We'll work it out. Okay. We'll get with you next week and talk some uh, some more ball. Thank you, buddy. Thanks. Everybody have a great weekend. The great Brian Mull on Twitter and X at BG Mull. You can follow him there for college basketball and golf musings. Back to wrap it up next. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. All right, uh, welcome back. It is uh, Christmas time. Pilk, uh, not quite the last weekend, but it's pretty darn close. We can see it and from I, the horizon. I, I was out uh, earlier today, and it's just it's insane with the. But I mean, I guess today's kind of the last day of. Um, you know, the last day of people uh, kind of pouring through. I mean, a lot of people wrap up the uh, year today. Do you know that, Pilk? People with a lot more Maybe. vacation time than me. Yeah. Let me see if that's right. No. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people might be wrapping up the year. Hey, if you got two yeah. weeks vacation still after all the after 11 and a half months, kudos to you. I know. Save it and use it. Save it and use it. I used to be a master manipulator with my vacation time when I worked uh, in uh, Florida and at Curtis Media. I would manipulate my time very, very well. You're a smart man. It's tough to do it when you work in media, especially on the holidays. They want everybody working then because nobody's yeah, nobody right. else is working. They're at home watching right. TV. So they want every, right. They want everybody else to work. So, But I could – I had a couple years there where I really was on a hell of a run. Thanks to Brian Mull for being with us. Great to talk to him today. Good stuff. If you missed the show, you can download the IBX Media app and revisit it anytime. Back Monday with uh, more fun and frivolity. 7 a.m. on Talk of the Town. Some new uh, news and big guests for that show. So tune in. 1037-963 and then here 5. Patrick Johnson show on 94.3. No coaches show, by the way, Monday, which who knew? Built the rep Pilkington. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, we'll see everybody on Monday.
to the PJ Show, and uh, have a great and safe weekend, everybody. Thank you.